And so you say, well, you know, why do we have an altar service before we have a message when most of the time we have a sermon and then we have an altar service? Because we want to get in while the water's troubled, right? And so we let the Lord do it any way that he wants to do it. And so we're so glad. Listen, you can hear, you can hear hundreds of thousands of sermons about him, but if you never experienced him, you've only learned about him, you haven't experienced him. And this altar is where we can experience him. And yet we also want to honor him and learn about him through his word. And that's why Jesus told us that those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. And that's what we try to do here at Westward Church of God. We're glad that you're here. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. Very simple uh, scripture, pretty straightforward. When you're there, say praise the Lord. All right, if you're not there, look up here. All right, now if you're there, say praise the Lord. <laughs> look and live. <laughs> Amen. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, we're asking you to bless your word this morning, the preaching of it. Help us not only to be anointed as a speaker, but help us all to be anointed as hearers, to not only hear but do what thus saith the word of God in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise for his word. The good news, which is the gospel, and that's what the gospel means is good news. The good news is, is that you can be saved. Now, in order to be saved, it means that there's something to be saved from. If a person is at home and they're watching television and all of a sudden a fire truck comes in up with lights flashing and they take uh, the fire axe and they chop in their door and they grab them and they jerk them out of the house and they put them on a stretcher and they put oxygen on them and they were just sitting there watching TV eating potato chips, they would consider that an invasion of their privacy. They'd look at the firemen and say, what in the world are you doing? What do you think you're doing? You're going to pay for my door. And you better be glad that I had that ball game DVR'd so I'd watch the end of it. Right? However, if the house is on fire and you're unconscious and you're almost dead from smoke uh, inhalation or perhaps it's getting closer to your body, and the fireman kicks in the door and busts down the door and jerks you up and drags you to safety, all of a sudden now that man who did the same action is your hero. He's your savior. You've been saved. And the reason that a lot of people are not saved, don't get saved, don't ask to be saved, don't want to be saved, is they're not aware that there's anything to be saved from. They don't know that they need a Savior. So I can talk to you about how to, but if I, if I can't convince you why you should, it falls on deaf ears. So that's what we're talking about. Very simple. Why should I be saved? And I'm just going to go through just some thoughts that I had about salvation. You hear this a lot, but it's true. 
You should be saved because God really does have a wonderful plan for your life. I know that sounds like a cliche. It sounds like just something that people say. But listen, cliches become cliches because they're generally true. They're oft repeated because they're often proven right. God really does have a wonderful plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know in the context it was talking to the people of Judah, but by extension I think the promises of God are in Christ Jesus to all of us, yes and amen. And it says for, God says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. And that word thoughts is, is uh, fabrications, machinations. Not a fabrication like a lie, that's not what it means. It means like a prefabricated house where in, in a warehouse somewhere they built the house and then they numbered all the components and then they broke it apart and they ship it to you and you put it back together according to their directions but they know it fits because they've already put it together and in God's thoughts of you and God's dreams of you and God's vision for you and God's destiny for you and God's purpose for you he's already put it all together and he's numbered the components and he said that's the way I'm thinking of you I've already put it together for I know the thoughts that I think towards you the King James Version said thoughts of peace are good and not of evil to give you an expected end God knows how things are going to end he knows the end from the beginning if we follow him he knows what he has in mind for us he's it doesn't take him by surprise he's got an end in mind the new King James says to give you a hope and a future and when I know that I'm part of God's plan and I've signed up for his plan and I'm allowing him to order my steps for the steps of the righteous are ordered to the Lord and I'm following his plan I do have a hope and I have a future you should be saved because you will find a higher meaning and purpose in your life again through Jeremiah uh, chapter 1 verse 5 the Lord spoke to Jeremiah before I formed you in the womb I knew you I heard somebody say the other day that the Lord knew you in the womb and he did David said that that he saw me when I was formed in the inward parts but he didn't just see my substance after I was conceived before I was formed he knew me the Lord knew me there was a thought of me in the heart and mind of God before you were born I sanctified you I set you aside for a purpose and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations now that was a promise to Jeremiah about his specific task, but every one of us have been created, woven together in our mother's womb by the hand of God. God created each and every one of us and he created us for a purpose. And I don't believe that God created any human being to just be kindling for the fires of hell. I believe God has a plan and a purpose for every individual and that brings a purpose and a meaning to my life. You should be saved because it is in Christ Jesus that you will find love, real love, true love, not, not eros, not erotic love, not the love that is so passing, not the loves of a soap opera that this week they fall in love and find that forever kind of love and nothing can keep them apart. Not, not uh, pestilence, not fire, not hurricanes, not tornadoes, not whoever they happen to be married to that week. Nothing can keep them apart. And finally, after weeks of them striving, they fall into each other's arms 
and kiss and they find that forever kind of love until the ratings drop and then they find that forever kind of love with somebody else. That's what the world thinks love is, infatuation. If you can fall into something, you can fall out of it. But the kind of love God has is not a fleeting kind of love. It's a gothe love. It's a forever kind of love. It's a love that concerns itself not with itself but with the object of the love. And that's the kind of love he has. In fact, John said it in 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 9. He says, love one another for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that does not love does not know God for God is love. And the love of God is manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. You should be saved because in God you will find peace. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 3, the, the oft-used greeting or salutation of the Apostle Paul was grace to you and peace from God and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected and the disciples were in that same upper room where he had feasted the last supper with them and they were so afraid of the Jews and all of them had run away and were ashamed of him. Peter had denied him three times. Jesus appeared into the midst, showed them the nail scars in his hands and said, Peace and grace be unto you. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Jesus for his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Wouldn't you like to have peace when you lay down your head at night on the pillow to sleep? You can find peace in him. You'll not only find love and joy but, or peace, but you'll find joy. 1 Peter 1.8 tells us that the joy we find in him is joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. It's inexpressible. Words cannot explain it. It's better felt than tailed. You've got the joy of the Lord. And I don't understand this, but I've experienced it, that I can in times of turbulence in my life, on one level I can be upset, on one level I can be worried, on one level I can be concerned, on one level I can be grieving, on one level I can be hurting, but on a deeper level there's a reservoir of the joy of the Lord, not happiness that comes and goes, but the joy of the Lord that starts bubbling like a whale and overflows into my life. You can find the joy of the Lord. When you find the Lord, why should you be saved? Because when you find the Lord, you find you. You find your true self. You remember the story of the prodigal son that wasted all he had on righteous living and he found himself in the pig pen. He was about to eat the slop that the pigs ate. Now, I don't know if some of you saw this movie or not. Uh, those of you that are either younger than me or had kids along the age of my kids saw a movie that was called Ratatouille. Anybody seen Ratatouille? And it's a gross movie, a little cartoon. It's about a rat that teaches a young man how to cook. Okay? And listen, his specialty dish was Ratatouille, which is kind of like goulash. It's kind of like the way Mama made soup, whatever was left over in the refrigerator. Didn't matter whether it was collard greens or coleslaw, it went in the soup. She hates it when I tell that. Conviction that you're feeling, Mother. 
it was condemnation that you just shot back at me. Amen. But Satan has a way of taking pig slop and making it look like filet mignon. And because you don't know any different, you've developed an appetite for the things that are beneath you. But this boy wasn't like other people that were out in the pig pen because he wasn't born in the pig pen. He didn't come from the pig pen. And all of a sudden he looked around him and the Bible says when he came to himself, he realized I wasn't made for the pig pen. The pig pen isn't my home. Sin is a type of spiritual amnesia. You forget who you are. Crystal and I had an old pastor friend, a retired pastor. We stayed in his his wife's home, and he was legally blind, but he could see just enough and and was able with his hands to woodwork, and and he he made us a little shelf and gave it to us. We hadn't been married very long. It's kind of a delayed wedding present. We still have that shelf today, and we came across it the other day, and uh, uh, Crystal was sprucing it up, put it in Katie's room, and We told Katie the story that this old precious old man, Bill Lamb, every time that we were staying that week in revival with him, every time that we left to run uptown, he'd say, all right now, children, remember who you are. Satan wants to keep you in the pig pen. He doesn't want you to know who you are. But when that boy came to himself, he said, I will arise and go back to my father's house. When David was involved in his sin with Bathsheba, He basically for about a year suffered under spiritual insanity and spiritual amnesia until the man of God pointed out to him what God had created and called him to be. Not only will you find your true self, you'll find home. It really is, there really is no place like home. And that's why the boy said and looked around at the pig pen and said, this isn't home. This isn't home. Here's a problem. We're living in a day, and I'm not against counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists and and all of those. I'm not against that, but I'm telling you, we're living in a day where there are people that are making a living trying to convince you that you can be comfortable in your pig pen. In fact, one of the problems that we have in in the churches is that we grab on to the world's way of doing things, and people come to church so we can help them pretend that it's not really a pig pen. Make them feel better about living in the pig pen. But I want you to know God has something better for you than the pig pen. You say, I will arise and go back to my father's house. When you're saved, you find home. One of the reasons to be saved is is that you won't be lonely anymore. Doesn't mean that you won't ever be alone in the sense of other people. Proverbs 17, 17 says a friend loves at all times and there's a brother born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24 says a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Psalm 68 and 5 says that God is a father of the fatherless and a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. I'm telling you that in the storms of life, You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be lonely. You can have somebody with you. We used to sing a song when I was growing up that I still love today. I have somebody with me to share my heavy load. I feel his presence near me 
every day. And although trouble overtake me along life's weary road, I have somebody with me all the way. We've got the promise of Jesus that said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. And I'm going to tell you, when the doctor says it's cancer, it's not the end of the world. It feels like it. But it's not the end of the world. I want you to know even when you lose a loved one, it feels like the end of the world, but it's not the end of the world. But whatever it is that you're going through that you say that think that this is the bitter end, understand that God's got a sweet by and by waiting on you, and you are not alone. He said, I'll be with you even when it feels like your world's closing in and crumbling all around you. You are not alone. Why should I be saved? I should be saved and you should be saved because you can feel the emptiness that's inside of you. There's a very famous philosopher that lived a couple of centuries ago by the name of Blaise Pascal. And he, cre- he is credited with coming up with, with this saying, that there exists on the inside of each heart a God-sized vacuum a God-sized hole that can only be filled with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. There is an emptiness in the human heart that sex will not fill, that relationships will not fill, that career will not fill. In fact, it's like a black hole. The more that you pour into it, just the bigger it gets. The only thing that will fill that emptiness inside of you is the Lord Jesus Christ. But Mary was able to say about the birth of Jesus before he was ever born. She said in Luke 1, 53, what he's coming to do is to feel the hunger. Jesus said to the woman at the well that was thirsty, he said, if you'll drink of this water I'll give you, you'll never thirst again. Jesus has come to fill the emptiness inside. Why should I be saved? Because in being saved I can have a fresh start, a clean slate. Who would not want in their life a chance to start over? Who wouldn't want, if they could, to be born all over again? Well, that's what Jesus promises. That's what he said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. I remember the story of the little boy that during the uh, first month of school, he had wasted his time. He played, you know, he'd play uh, paper football with the guy sitting next to him. He was defied of the teacher till he got his first, you know, progress report. And on that, he had a lot of Fs. The worst day of my life in my academic career, worst day of my life is whenever they took away D. Up till I was in about the ninth grade, there was A, B, C, D, F. I don't know what E was. That's just what they gave you for effort, I think. But there was D. If you made below 70, that was a D. D was passing. Then somebody that had to justify their existence decided they'd take away D. It was A, B, C, F. Worst day of my life, I had to work to get to average. And this little boy didn't do so good. 
and he knew that the, that the uh, end of the semester was coming, and at the end of the semester, the parents were going to come, and all of his work was going to be kept in a binder. And his teacher sat him down and said, Buddy, he said, now, when your mom and daddy come at the end of this semester and they look through your binder, do you want them to see a bunch of Fs there? He said, no, ma'am, I don't. He said, well, if you'll pay attention, if you'll listen to me, if you'll do your work, you can do better. And I want you to know he shot up to C and then D and even made a couple of A's. But still, when he got to the end of the semester, the parent-teacher conference, and mom and dad were going to come and see the binder with it, he still regretted the fact that some of the grades in the front of the binder at the first of the year, that those grades were going to be Fs. And he was embarrassed and hurt and ashamed. But when mom and daddy opened up that binder, all that they saw was the work when he made the turnaround. The teacher had took and ripped out all of the Fs because he got a new start. I want you to know you may have been failing in life up to this point, but you can have a new start today and God takes and rips out those pages of where you failed and where you flunked and you can be an A student because God gives you a new start. In fact, the Bible says that all of that handwriting of ordinances that was against me when he died on the cross, it was nailed to the cross and taken out of the way. Why should I be saved? Because I could get a fresh start. Why should I be saved? Because God has promised to provide and protect for his children. And it's important that you understand that there's a difference between the common blessings of God and the covenant blessings of God. Everybody in here is blessed whether you recognize it or not. Everybody do this. That was a gift of God to you right there. That was God's blessing. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, comes down from the Father's, uh, Father of lights. That's a common blessing, just the air that you breathe. You say, no, the air that I breathe comes from oxygen from the trees. Who do you think made those trees grow? Who do you think formed your lungs and your body? It was the Lord. It's a common blessing. In fact, Paul said it's in him that we live, move, and have our being. He wasn't talking about it in a spiritual sense. He was talking about it in reality that God doesn't exist inside of his universe. God's so big, his universe exists inside of him. So even people that are defiant of God, even people that are anti-God, even people that don't, don't uh, believe in God, that curse God, they don't know that they're moving around in the God they don't even believe in. They don't know that it's God that gave them the breath that they used to curse him that gave them the knowledge to invent foul things. They don't understand that all of it came from God, that it's common blessings of God. In fact, where the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, it's not talking. I hear Christians all the time, something bad happens to a Christian, and they say, well, you know, it rains on the just and the unjust. That is not what that, please don't do that. That's not what that scripture means. It doesn't mean that into each life some rain must fall and bad things going to happen to Christians just like they do to bad people. Well, yeah, that does happen, but that's not what that scripture means. When it says it rains on the just and the unjust, it says that God's so loving, God's so gracious that when he sends the rain, he doesn't just send the rain on the fields of his children. He sends the rain on the fields of the sinner too because he's a good God. I called, I think it was 
Paul Wooten out front one day, and I think James was there. James knew I was going to probably tell this on it. And I asked Carl, I said, Carl, did it rain at your house? He said, yeah, it did. I said, James, did it rain at your house? He said, yeah, it did. And I put my arm around Carl. I said, it's true. It rains on the just and the unjust, doesn't it? Have a little fun with it. God gives common blessings to everyone, but there's a difference between those common blessings and the covenant blessings, the covenant promises we have from God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33, he says to his children, don't you worry about where you're going to live, what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on your back, because the world's seeking after all those things, but if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. Philippians 4.19 tells us that God is able to supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. And of course, there's no greater passage anywhere for the care of God than Psalm 23 that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why should you be saved? Because you get the provision and protection of Almighty God. Why should you be saved? You should be saved because you'll be reconciled to your Creator. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. You can be reconciled to the one that created you. And if He created you and He had a dream for you, a vision for you, a purpose for you, that's found all only in Him. A lot of people like to probe the great mysteries of life but reject the one that made it all, that knows it all. But you can be reconciled to your Creator. Why should you be saved? Because you can have abundant life. John 10.10, Jesus said that the thief has come but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, I, I tell you, it's not that I've not grown in my faith and don't understand some things different than I did 30 years ago. I do, but, but the, the core values, beliefs, the gospel that I was committed to when I was 12 years old, I still believe those things today. The only thing that changed is when I was 12 years old, I by faith, when I was 5 or 6 when I got saved, but when I was 10 or 12 or 14, I by faith accepted the things that God had to say about life because God said them. And because my parents raised me to trust Him and know Him and love Him, and I'd experienced Him before myself, the only things that's changed, and I can see 50 just right the other side of that hill, the only thing that's changed since that time and this time is now I can look back through life and I can see the end of those that have not followed the way of God. And I can say, I know that God's word is true. The enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
but Jesus came that I could have life and life more abundantly. Now, any of these reasons may speak to any of you. Any of these reasons can speak to any of you. Some of these reasons can speak to some of you. And these reasons that I've given you, well, I didn't give out of reasons, I gave out of time. But the reasons that I've given to you are not incorrect, but they are incomplete. They are universally true, but they're not universally desired. In other words, not everybody is at the same place that everybody else is. This morning, everyone here may be at a different place in their life. They may be at a different time in their life. They've had, you've all had, and I've had different experiences. You may be going through something that I'm not going through and vice versa. And so these are wonderful reasons, and all of them may intrigue you today, but none of them may interest you tomorrow. It's true God has a wonderful plan for my life my life, but someone could say, so what, I have my own plans for my own life. You may say, you need to get saved because you can find meaning and purpose, and they say, I've got plenty of meaning and purpose in my life anyway. Someone may say, well, you'll find love if you get saved, and they'll say, i got a lot of friends that love me. You'll find peace, well, I'm perfectly content. You'll find joy, I'm happy already. You'll find your true self. Well, I didn't even know I was missing. You'll find a home. Well, I got a real nice one in the golf club. Thank you very much. You may say to someone, you need to get saved. won't be lonely anymore. And they'll say, I got plenty of friends and family. You'll feel the emptiness inside. I'm not yearning for anything. You'll have a fresh start. I don't need one. God will provide and protect you. Well, I've got money in the bank for that. You'll be reconciled with your Creator. That doesn't interest me. I'm not even sure He exists. Well, you'll have abundant life. But someone may say, well, life's pretty good as it is. Every truth that I shared with you are true. But they are not common denominators. Everyone may experience one or more or all of those at some point in their life but not everybody that you preach to about salvation is going to be experiencing in the moment that you preach to them. There are benefits for every believer but they are not perceived needs for every sinner. Why should I be saved? Well there is one common denominator that applies to everybody, every time. That applies to all people, all the time. Hebrews 9, 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. The common need that unites all men is found in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, 
that he gave his only begotten son, here's the need, that whosoever should not believe in him, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The end of human existence, the end of this life is something that applies to every one of us. And if we're going to be successful in introducing people to our Lord, we're going to have to talk to people about their most pressing needs. And if you're not saved this morning, your most pressing need is not joy, as great as that is. It's not peace, as great as that is. Your most pressing need is not for God to provide for your physical needs. Your greatest needs is that one of these days you're going to have to stand when this life is over before a holy, righteous God that's going to judge the living and the dead. One of these days life is going to be over. Now the great promise that we have, why should I be saved? Because you can have eternal life. Well, that's been the hope of countless doctors, countless explorers, Remember Ponce de Leon, he, he searched the breadth and length of Florida trying to find the fountain of youth. Man has always desired immortality, something beyond how we're going to live forever. You remember Ted Williams, the baseball player? You say, well, yeah, he died. He's dead and gone. Well, no, he's still around. He's just frozen. He was cryogenically frozen hoping that one day science would be able to bring him back to life. But we can have eternal life. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Your soul is immortal. It is going to exist somewhere forever. But it can exist in eternal life with God or it can exist in an eternal death. Not without consciousness but without real life but the eternal life that I'm talking about is an eternal life that you're going to get to see your loved ones that died in the faith you're going to get to see them again the eternal life I'm talking about is that when you get to heaven there's going to be a great crowd of witnesses there to welcome you ashore the eternal life that I'm talking about is Jesus is going to be waiting on the other side and we'll know him by the nails that are in his, by the nail prints that are in his hands. The eternal life that I'm talking about is a land of endless day where comes no night. The eternal life I'm talking about is you're going to live in a place where there's not moth or rust and there's not thieves that break through and steal. You're living in a place of eternal life where there's no hospitals, there's no sick bed, there's no nursing homes, there's no jails, there's no prisons, there's no insane asylums, there's no funeral homes, there's no graveyards. The eternal life I'm talking about is in a city where they pave the streets with gold, where the walls are made of jasper, where the glory of that place is not in its beauty but is in its inhabitant because God himself is there and Jesus is the Lamb of God that is the light of the city. The day, the place, the eternal life that I'm talking about is one of endless forever joy and laughter and singing and fellowship and you take the great 
greatest moment that you've ever experienced in life and you multiply it by 10 to the thousandth, thousandth, thousandth power and you haven't even got a taste of the joy that waits you in the eternal city of heaven. But sadly, that's not the end of it. Because there's also eternal punishment in hell for those that don't know the Lord. You'd think it's pretty simple, but somehow in church we've gotten away from warning people that there's a literal burning hell that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. You say, you believe that? Yeah, because I believe that. I didn't make it up. It's not, it's not a fairy tale that our ancestors made up into scaring kids to behave themselves. When John the Baptist came, the message that he brought was flee from the wrath to come. Jesus talked about hell. I don't, I, I, boy, I don't understand these liberal Hollywood types that they, you know, they become great theologians and they, and they say, you know, all of you harsh, judgmental, bigoted people out there, you know, if you read your Bible and followed your Jesus, you'd find out that he loved everybody and he does. He accepts everything. He just, he just, oh, you know, just, just soft and squishy. It was Jesus that said, if your hand offend you, cut it off. It's better to go through life maimed than to enter into hell where the fire is not quenched and the worm doesn't die. The word that Jesus used for hell there was the name of a valley just outside of Jerusalem. It was a place where people had made living sacrifices on a bronze bull of their children. It became a cursed place, and it became the garbage dump of Jerusalem. It's where when, when Judas hung himself that he fell and burst open. It was called Gehenna or the Valley of Gehenna, and Jesus used that word for hell. And because it was the garbage dump of Jerusalem, there was rotting flesh that was there all of the time. And maggots dined on that flesh. And the fires that burned 24-7 couldn't consume all of the refuse that was placed there. And Jesus said, that's hell. And whatever you've got to cut away from your life to miss it, it's worth it. That's what hell's like. There's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. There's a fire that burns. Remember Jesus told about the rich man and the beggar. The rich man, when he died, he opened his eyes in hell and in torment and begged that the beggar Lazarus would just dip, dip his finger in cool water and place it on his tongue, quench his thirst. Perhaps you're here today and you say, you know, I believe in hell. I believe God's a just God, and I believe he's got a place for the Hitlers of the world. 
I believe he's got a place for the terrorist. In fact, I believe God's just because I believe he's just. I don't believe he let a, a, a murderer like John Wayne Gacy, a serial killer, get off. Yeah, I believe there's a hell for those kinds of people. Well, Romans or Revelation 21 and 8 says this. Who, here's go, who's going to be there? The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their place in the part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You say, well, I've never mur murdered anybody. You ever lied? You ever committed sexually immoral acts? You ever had sexually immoral thoughts? If you're not saved, you are unbelieving. You're not believing what the Word of God says. Revelation 20, 12 and 14, uh, through 15 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. 